Welcome to Failure to Launch, a podcast for brand managers, entrepreneurs, innovators about how the biggest brands, flops, failures, and fuck-ups have shaped our lives. My name's Sam, and I'm a brand strategist, and hopefully by now you've heard the intro to the uh, podcast, so I won't keep doing that. Um, uh, today I've got uh, Tom. Tom is a trained marketer and a designer at Fluid. Welcome to podcast, Tom. How are you doing? Hello. Good. Thank you, Sam. Thanks for having me. Tom, what do you know about Apple? You a big Apple fan? Uh, yeah, I, I have an iPhone. I have a MacBook. I have a whole range of Apple products, really. Um, pretty large company. Um, yep. Yep. You're totally bought in, part of the cult. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I have. I'm a reluctant Apple um, devotee, you could say. All right. Well, today we've got a bonus episode. This one is a bonus episode. It's slightly different to what we'd usually do. So the failure here is more about um, you know, can can a, can you consider a giant fine a failure in this case? Um, what we're doing today is we're going to go through a story that I came across when we were doing the Amazon Fire Phone. You, do you read a lot of books, Tom? Uh, no, I wouldn't go that far. No, you just you pass them. Yeah, yeah, I've probably. Um... I can't remember the last time I read a book, to be honest, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Shame. Um, how about ebooks? Have you have you ever picked up any ebooks? Uh, probably less than than real books. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got the right guest then. Thanks, Emma. We, we really booked the right person. No, just joking. Um, so, if you go to buy an ebook today, if you go to Amazon's top one hundred books right now, so if you to log on and yep. go through. You'll be greeted by a range of books with prices that sort of vary between $0.99 cents and $200. Um, so this wasn't actually always the case. Uh, we've spoken previously about this really short period between 2007 and 2014 where Apple and Amazon were two of the fiercest brand rivals in the world due to their approaches to this newly developing uh, tablet market. So quick recap for you, Tom, because you weren't here for it. The first Kindles released in 2007. Um, the iPhone is released in 2007, and the Kindle uh, becomes the world's most popular e-reader. The iPhone becomes the world's most popular smartphone. Amazon eBooks is estimated to constitute about two thirds of the market in 2007, and then that climbs to about 90% of the market in 2010. And then Apple explodes into the market with its iPad, sort of blowing up the eBook market and then sort of changing the game. Apple's ability to draw in some of those really big publishers, uh, a group that will come to be known as the Big Six, um, is really a big part of Apple's success with its iPad. But there's a whole lot more to the story that we weren't able to cover off in our original podcast, including some really shady backroom deals, price fixing, and a US antitrust investigation. Have you heard of any of those details before? Uh, yeah, bits and bits and pieces. Yeah, I vaguely remember sort of reading some articles about it back, you know, in um, oh, I don't, back in the newspapers when I was sort of um, a junior in the industry. And I mean, it, Apple seemed to be at war with everybody at the time. I reckon. Yeah, well, I don't think a lot has changed there. Um, the big tech companies constantly sort of sparring for different, you know, market share across different products and uh, sectors. So this is probably peak Steve Jobs sort of period that we're talking at the moment, 2007, would you say? Yeah. Uh, yeah, obviously uh, amazing sort of marketer slash um, 
product designer um, leader, incredibly successful man. Yeah. Yeah, he had the the reality distortion field, I think, is one of the big things with um, Steve Jobs, where if he wanted things to be so, then they would be so. Um, I've heard that. Sounds incredibly frustrating, but um, I guess history probably will forget that first. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, All right, so back pre-2009, Amazon's dominance of the ebook market meant Bezos was really dictating the prices of ebooks. Um, the model at the time was set up that it was a wholesaling model. And so uh, that gave Amazon as a retailer the right to sort of set its prices around uh, $9.99 for ebooks. So it was that was Bezos's philosophy is that um, the publishers had previously been discounting ebooks by around 20% from the full price, you know, paperback or hardback uh, copies. And then that sort of 20% discount and brought it down to a, a price that was often around $9.99. Mm. Amazon picked that up as an acceptable sort of number for, you know, this is how much an ebook should cost. And they sort of set a rule in place that, okay, we're not going over $9.99 as a price. But by 2010, uh, the publishers are really no longer happy with this uh you know, really complicated wholesaling arrangement. And they began to see Amazon as sort of imposing this less than desirable rate from above. So on Amazon's part, the goal was really strategic. It had aimed to establish this low price for eBooks that meant that it would be able to sell more Kindle devices. And at the time, around 37% of the volume of books were all going to this cheaper eBook format. So in terms of the total value of that sort of, you know, book market, a huge proportion of it was now going to ebooks, which were all, you know, priced at a discount. Um, Tom, discounting, always a controversial subject. Uh, any thoughts on that? True. Um, discounting is a shortcut to slowly destroying your brand equity <laughs> and not something that you would ever recommend um, unless your hand is forced. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things like the because of the way traditionally books have all been sold, they really didn't get a choice. The retailers were setting the price at this point. And it um, it meant that for these publishers, they were handing over a piece of the pie to uh, another brand when, you know, clearly they wanted more of it. So according to Amazon, after talking with other publishers about what an acceptable price point for eBooks would be, the mega publisher Hatchet and his CEO, Arnold Nori, Uh, met with Amazon executives on the 3rd of December 2009 and told the exec at Amazon that if Amazon raised its prices by $2 to $3, the problem, in inverted quotes, of Amazon's ebook price would be alleviated. According to a complaint that was later filed in court, Nori's comments clearly indicate that the publishers were discussing price and were content to agree on a stable base price as opposed to prices being set by competition. So, a lot of this episode is going to be all about pricing, um, but it's a really a deep dive on how that pricing is kind of affecting the market. And I think it's it, it's a really interesting case study because clearly competition is what we aim for in a capitalist market, supposedly, that competition is meant to be good for the consumer. Um, and therefore, you know, if we're uh, competing against each other, setting competitive prices, establishing 
positions in market that stand against each other, then we're going to have a better off, a better, you know, healthier market. Yeah, absolutely. But in this case, yeah, in this case, the thing that's um, being set up is that you've got, you know, a retailer whose dominance, monopoly over the market almost, is imposing one price and then uh, another, um, you couldn't call it a, I don't know, sectuple monopoly, however many six is. Um, they're working together and they want to set uh, a different price. And so you end up with this kind of battle of, you know, giants, kind of Godzilla-style fight over the market. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I guess Amazon goes back, it started as a book, um, Retailer Rights. It's got a huge history of, um, I guess, it's, it's first to market in, in a lot of ways. Um, so it's got a huge history of um, book relations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's funny. I mean, they... They became so dom- dominant, taking market share from everyone else, um, you know, being competitive only to then become, you know, the big bad guy again, much like, you know, uh, Barnes & Noble was at the time. Yeah, okay. So it's not just Hatchet. We've got um, these uh, five ma- major publishers, um, well, six major publishers, five of which are really, really going to focus on today. We've got Hatchet, HarperCollins, Macmillan, uh, Simon and & Schuster and Pen- Penguin Random House. Um, they collectively, as a group, sold 48% of all ebooks in the United States in the first quarter of 2010, and they were looking for a way to push back against Amazon's rising sort of dominance. So to quote a US federal court, on, on a fairly regular basis, roughly once a quarter, the CEOs of the publishers held dinners in private dining rooms of New York restaurants without counsel or assistance present in order to discuss the common challenges that they all faced, including most prominently Amazon's rising pricing policies. Hatchet's Arnold Young had uh, promised that he would raise with his competition their options to confront the potentially dominant role played by Amazon in ebooks, in order to control their strategy and pricing, as Young put it. I hate, quote, Amazons, uh, I hate their bullying behavior and will be happy to support a strategy that restricts their plans for world domination. So it's all being done in these kind of shady back rooms in secret. Just like everything else really though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it? You know, we um I'm sure to them they didn't feel like they're being secret. Um, but at the same time, uh we have instances uh raised in the court case that came after this of people telling their assistants to delete emails. So after Amazon replied that it had no intention of raising its prices in the short term, the publishers uh, over two weeks, starting with Hatchet, began contacting uh, Amazon to tell it that they were adopting a policy of delaying the release of specific titles in ebook formats to maximize the sales of their printed editions. So um, that's, there's a policy called windowing, um, and it's it's a pretty normal policy in terms of, you know, if you want a particular SKU to perform better than other SKUs. Um, but obviously here the problem is the different groups colluding together to all do the same practice all at once. Yeah, it's a little bit shady, I guess, isn't it? You know, just a little, you know. Um, in doc- court documents later, Amazon would argue that historically none of the publishers would have engaged in such a radical departure from their traditional business practices unless they knew that the other houses were going to go go along with it. 
there's this bigger thing that's going on in the background um, that Amazon didn't know about at the time. Despite some initial reluctance from Steve Jobs, um, Apple's ADQ, their SVP, had decided to make a play for the ebook market. He saw the opportunity as enormous. Apparently, he had, quote, assembled data that showed that the book market in the North America was larger than the music market. The book industry was estimated to be roughly 35 to $42 billion in size. Not bad. Yeah, not bad. And, you know, at the time, Apple's iTunes was really dominant. Spotify wasn't even a thought in anyone's head at the time. So, um, and buying digital goods was becoming a new thing that people hadn't really done, you know, a lot of in the past. Um, and so they they predicted that this ebook market just the ebook portion could reach nearly a billion dollars in uh, 2010. Yeah, you can see how you know maybe they thought it was sort of adjacent or an extension of you know one of their lock product lines. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of a fairly natural extension to go from consuming content you know via your ears to consuming it with your eyes. Apple didn't want to enter the ebook market if it had to compete with Amazon's 9.99 price point. Um, if there's one thing we know about Apple is they like charging a premium. True. Their desire to enter the ebook market on more favorable business terms aligned with the big five's goals of raising ebook prices. And so Apple sought to seize the moment. Quote, taking advantage of the publisher defendant's fear of and frustration over Amazon's pricing, as well as a tight window of opportunity created by the impending launch of the iPad on January 27th, Apple garnered the signatures it needed to introduce the iBook store at launch. It provided the publisher defendants with the vision, the format, the timetable, and the coordination they needed to raise ebook prices. So, as much as those ebook companies were like, oh, you know, we really want to get a better deal out of this, we want to raise our prices, they just didn't have the means by which to do that. Amazon controlled, you know, the formats. Uh, all ebooks were sold in Amazon's proprietary format, which meant they couldn't be transferred from device to device. And it, they were really in a you know a hard place in terms of you know having control over the uh, media channel really. So the team at Apple negotiated furiously to move publishers over to an agency model, whereby the publishers would set their own prices, and Apple would take a thirty percent cut or whatever they sold through their new iBooks e-commerce app. So that's a really big shift for the entire industry and required a fairly unprecedented level of coordination between Apple and the publishers to pull off. And at the time, Steve Jobs was seriously ill. You know, he was on a ticking clock uh, in terms of his cancer, um, which was putting the whole project under, you know, even additional strain beyond that. Um, beginning on December 8th, 2009, EDQ's team had contacted the publishers to set up meetings the following week and discuss a, quote, extremely confidential subject. Apple had made it clear that these secret calls that it would be trying, in the secret calls that it would be trying to meet with each of the big uh, CEOs of publishers, and it would do this on a whirlwind trip of New York City. So Apple's request for meetings in New York was sort of this really exciting turn of events for the publishers and prompted a flurry of telephone calls amongst them. They spoke about how they might turn Apple's entry into the ebooks business to their advantage in their battle with Amazon. Quote, as of January 16, the launch of, launch of the iPad and iBooks was just 11 days away and Q did not have a single agreement executed. At that point, he set a deadline of Thursday, January 21st, 
as the final date by which the publishers had to sign the agency agreements with Apple. As noted above, Q and his team came to New York for this final push. So, you know, just trying to set it up in your head, we've got Steve Jobs dying. Uh, We've got the iPad coming into, you know, launch. It's been uh, about to be shown off in front of everybody at this big keynote speech, uh, which I remember at the time was a huge deal. Um, And we've got uh, this big sort of centerpiece of the presentation is going to be the iBooks store and they don't have a single publisher signed up for it yet. They are essentially building it without any agreements in place and they've only got you know a week to run around New York trying to get all these major uh, chairmen, CEOs to sign documents and, yeah, it's a real race to the finish line. That sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> or an exciting movie. I'd probably just go crawl into a ball and into a fetal position, I think, and crawl in the dark rooms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think um, it's it's definitely uh, a big one. But maybe the reality distortion field around Steve Jobs is playing its role there. Yeah, True. it was going to happen one way or another. Like it must have been sort of pushed to its limit at this point. With seven days to go and he's he's on his deathbed. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I don't think he's quite on his deathbed yet, but I, I remember the presentation that he did for the iPad, and well, he did the keynote for that yeah, one. He did. Yeah, and he looked real skinny and sickly, and everyone was like, "Oh, something's wrong there." Um, I wonder if his team, what they were thinking about, um, you know, how long he had, and you know, maybe if we we don't have to get this done because <laughs> he might <laughs> fall off his perch. <laughs> Oh, God. Uh, maybe. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, Eddie Q uh, was apparently absolutely frantic running around New York. And on January 26th, the day before the launch, Apple got the agreement signed. Oh, wow. On January 27th, Jobs was up on stage and he launched the iPad. As part of his keynote presentation, he introduced the iPad's e-reader capability and the iBook store, um, as it was called, called back then, he, he proudly displayed the names and the logos of each of the publishers whose books would populate the iBook store. And to show the ease with which an iTunes customer could buy a book, standing in front of a giant screen displaying his own iPad screen, Job browsed through the iBooks uh, bookshelf, clicked on the store button in the upper corner of the eBook shelf, and uh, the whole audience watched as the shelf seamlessly flipped to the iBook store. Uh, and he purchased one of Hatchett's New York Times bestsellers, The True Compass by Edward M. Kennedy. And he bought that for fourteen ninety nine. A household name. It's the first book I would have bought too. <laughs> I think it's, you know, it's important that it's a Hatchet because Hatchet was, the, you know, the original people who were kind of leading the gang in a lot of ways. Um, and, yeah, fourteen ninety nine. So um, up from the nine ninety nine. Uh, original price that was set. Uh, someone actually spoke to Jobs after the keynote speech and said, why would anyone pay $14.99 for a book when they can get it for $9.99 on Amazon? And Steve Jobs then acknowledged that they were moving to the windowing policy and that they would be delaying some of the um, sales on Amazon's format um, for the higher price point, which 
was later shown in court to show that he, you know, was very aware of the collusion going on. Yeah, and at that stage, was it more about as much about participating in the market as you know, not so much competing? Yeah. Yep. I mean, he kind of knew that he was going to get to compete anyway because he was going to get access to all those titles for the higher price point before, you know, the nine ninety nine price point was rolled out. So he, he was very aware that the agency model was coming in and that his team were kind of driving that and that the um, Amazon wholesaling model was on its way out. Um, so that was it. Book prices went up as much as 50% overnight. Um, according to Statista, by the end of Q1 2014, Apple was moving between 17 and 26 million iPads a quarter and had managed to carve out about an 11% share of the US ebook market, uh, which simultaneously was increasing the average prices of ebooks and removing Amazon's control of the pricing market. So, how what's Bezos doing now? Because he's all, he's all about, you know, as cheap as possible. So, what's if we flip back to him, what's he thinking? What's he doing? Because the um, publishers chose to change their pricing model. Uh, he they re- they effectively removed in complete control from Bezos, so he was furious at that point. Okay. Um, he 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 no longer had the con- the level he of control that he'd had previously. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I'll I'll jump ahead a little bit. The as of today, Amazon's ebook market share is down as low as sixty seven percent, and it's also. Uh, introduced a new pricing model that it has more control over. They've got this Netflix-style Kindle Unlimited subscription service, which they use to sort of keep the prices down low, which means that you're not getting ownership, but you are getting access to a huge variety of titles, sometimes like majority of them for free, essentially. Yeah, it's all about distribution when it comes to books, isn't it? Um, and access to, to titles, Um yeah, I mean, it's it's a really sort of complex business. I don't pretend to understand all of it, but the idea that you've got this back and forth and this fight between these two giants, I think, is really interesting. Um, I'm just going to go with podcasts for now, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's really what I advocate is <laughs> abandoning the book and join the podcasting uh, master race. Um, uh, there, re- there will be only one podcast in the future and it'll be this one. So. <laughs> so the reason we have so much detail on this whole procedure is that the US brought a suit against Apple, uh, alleging that it, it had conspired to raise the prices of eBooks in violation of antitrust laws. In July, 2013, Apple had its final appeal declined by the US Supreme Court and it was found that libel Uh, that Apple was liable for engaging in a conspiracy that violated federal antitrust laws and they had to pay $450 million as part of the settlement. Cool, cool, $450 million. Yeah, yeah. Um, Just for a little bit of a uh, scale, Apple Books today accounts for that roughly 10% of the global ebook market, which is valued at around $19.95 billion in 2022, so bringing in around $1.9 billion a year. Um, and yeah, they, they had that, uh, $450 million fine to pay. So 
I mean, at the end of the day, you've got a question probably sounds worth it. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> I mean, is the crime, you know, worth the punishment in this case? They, they, the model hasn't changed. They continue to sell books at, you know, very high prices in some cases. Um, Apple's obviously one of the richest companies in the world. Do Apple still sell books? I don't. I don't think of them as a book retailer, and I um, do, they, do they sell books? Yeah, man. I said that. Ten percent of the market. They 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 are roughly ten percent of the market. They're bringing in uh, approximately one point nine billion dollars a year in books. Yeah, just a little um, just spare change for the back pocket. Not bad, 10%. I mean, that would pale in comparison to their other revenue, but um, still, just the bread and butter earners. Yeah, yeah they're a $300 billion company overall. So um, 1.9 is nothing to sniff at, you know. No, it's- no, absolutely not. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I, I guess I would have to have a look, but I feel like the pricing is sort of normalised a little bit as, you know, I guess people like the other um, the original distributors have, you know, become more online as well, and you know, online shopping's become normal. Um, so, where do prices sit today? Yeah, I mean, they, they vary, but new releases, are, you know, thirty five dollars, something like that. Um, they do drop down to cheaper, and depending on your agreement with Amazon's ebook or the bookstore, um, they very much fluctuate between the you know 30s down to the sort of 15 dollar mark and is there like a you know huge competitive gaps between the different retailers or has it become more of an even playing field well uh amazon no longer controls 90 percent of the market but it's down it's still 67 percent. so that's still you know two-thirds um or, or you know just over two-thirds so it's kind of hasn't really changed <laughs> from where we started in 2007. We just pay more. <laughs> yeah, wow, that's that's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Nothing like a good monopoly. Yeah, I mean, at, at a certain point you get to control it and doesn't really matter what you do, you can continue to control it. <laughs> so who's the winner? Who's the real winner or loser? Probably, yeah, the consumer. Or Jeff. Jeff's the winner. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff. Ah, uh, Rocket Man. Jeff. <laughs> all right. So that's it. That's all I got for you, man. Um, you can go home and feel terrible about uh, the whole world and um, uh, know that you're just paying more just because other people want you to pay more. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it, Sam. I will go back and listen to this podcast in more detail and. Um, <laughs> I'll adjust it um, accordingly, I think. Look, as long as you're getting indoctrinated into the the one true podcast, then uh, my job's done. (laughs) Sounds good. What have you got working on at the moment, Tom? Uh, Any new case studies, things you've been putting out into the world? Um, Yeah, it's been busy at the moment. Um, We're doing um, some brand material for a a, uh, local Victorian library. that's sort of got a lot of my attention at the moment. And then 
another uh, you know small little tech company doing some brand material for that one as well. Uh, both exciting projects. Well, we'll hope the library doesn't listen to this and know that you don't read books. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I think I might have understated that at the start. But, uh, <laughs> when you press me, I just uh, I totally blanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the magic of the podcast. It ruins everybody's brain. You've, you've just got that effect on people, Sam. Um, yeah, thanks. No. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Tom. Um, we will be back in a couple of weeks. We're going to take a little break. Um, we've got a whole heap of new episodes coming in soon. Um, we're going to jump into some local case studies, some um, interesting sort of, you know, forgotten giants. Um, but in the meantime, uh, everybody stay safe out there and we'll be back to talk about more of the flops, failures and fuck-ups that have uh, changed our lives. Oh, Sam, I don't know how useful any of that was. The opinions and views expressed on Failure to Launch belong to the individual speaking and do not represent the official views of Fluid Branding.